Okay, welcome back to episode six of the King's Reflections. My name's Nick, and today we've got a lot of questions from One Kings 17 and One Kings 18 that we'll hopefully get through. In the room, I have John with me, Jamie, Jeremy, and we've got Chris as well today, which is really, really good. So, let's get stuck in just for anybody who's catching up. So, We'll be answering questions from 1 Kings 17 first, which is episode 16 on the uh, podcast uh, stream if you want to catch up. And I'll get straight into it. So, question number one. Are there dark places we need to avoid and how do we know? I wasn't, it took me a while to remember what this question actually related to from the teaching. I think it is talking about when you mentioned, Jamie, that um, as children of God, he calls us into, we're, we're lights that are called into the darkness. So if we're looking around us and thinking, oh my goodness, this is this school that I'm placed in or this workplace, things are not as they should be. There's no integrity or there's gossip or whatever. That's probably good because he's wanted to put yeah. us in those places. So it was, it was right at the start of the chapter. I think, what, why is Elijah appearing now? The end of chapter 16 was just talking about Ahab's rule and how messed up the whole of Israel had become. And the idea of when, when it gets dark, when the dark is at its darkest, the, the, the light is arriving and the idea of the God parachuted Elijah in out of his commitment to a fallen world rather than a backing off or retreating from a world. Um, I mean, in terms of that, the answering that question I, I think our priority is to walk in the light like he is in the light which is 1 John 1 7 which speaks more about my heart attitude towards light than the environment that I'm in and so if I'm right with God I am much less vulnerable to the temptations of the world around me if I prize God over everything else um, that means that the the I'm, I'm not as easily swayed by other stuff. Um, I think then the Spirit can lead us into dark places, and that's actually the safest place to be if it's led by the Spirit. I can go somewhere God has... If I try to go somewhere that God has not sent me or God has forbid me to go, well, really, the, the biggest worry to me is actually my hard heart more than it is the environment. But then because my hard heart enters into an environment that I shouldn't be in, makes me much more vulnerable. Mm. I think it's the most important thing Jamie just picked it up is uh, being led by the Spirit of God as many of the sons of God the Bible said are led by the Spirit of God and rather than making an assessment on uh, how light or dark the place is if God is leading us there then we have grace for that if God isn't leading us there then that's not a good place to be and I think if you look back over the over the ages I mean if we if we just worked on the basis of avoiding the dark places, then we wouldn't have uh, sent missionaries into many countries or um, adventured with the gospel into many places. Mm. So I don't think it's a question of, of just making an assessment of how conducive the place is, but how clear we are that God is leading us or sending us there. Okay, cool. Jeremy? And um, just picking up on the kind of how do we know aspect of, of that, I think it's just 
Well, I suppose two things come to mind. One is God's given us a conscience, which I think often if we are acting out of that sort of maybe wrong motive or, or we're doing stuff or going into places because not because God's led us, but because, you know, for some other reason, more often than not, there's this nagging sense of, you know, the spirit in God um, telling me that, that that's not right. But also just the importance of doing this in community and, you know, that, that point about together we, we have the mind of Christ and, and we're not just lone rangers going off into these different spheres of the world. But actually we're, we're meant to be supported. We're meant to be hearing God together. And if I'm unsure about something, I can ask someone, or I can process it with someone and, and you know, get God's, God's mind on it together mm. as well. So I think that's just practically how I think about the sort of how do we know aspect of that. Okay, cool. Okay, second question. How often does God command us to do something when we don't realise he's commanding it? It's making me think of um, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of those who delight in him. And again, if our heart is towards him, is if he is my prize, I can often find that he weaves me into his purposes and his plans. I don't necessarily need to know exactly what that is and I know in my life there's been many times where I've just found oh wow look God has moved me in these places I didn't know at the start of the journey where the destination was or even have a a route mapped out but he's just nudged me and steered me and the best position to be in that for that steering is a a heart after him someone that delights in him Mm. Yeah, I've always thought that uh, God does not give us uh, a line on a map um, or a guidebook, um, but he actually comes with us as a personal guide and uh, seeking to please him. uh, Yeah, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just know the first step and after the first step comes the second step. Uh, But I think that initial response in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the nudge of God, is uh, sometimes just opens the door for the, the the rest of the route to be unfolded. I think the temptation for me often is to be passive rather than to be active and almost be waiting for, for this booming voice of God to say, do this or don't do that before I do anything. And I think more often than not, as Jamie and John have said, it's that heart position to follow him and if we have that heart position and we're kind of acting in openness um then god can guide us um but we we almost there's this permission to to move and it reminds me of um paul when he's traveling around um in in kind of the early part of his ministry and um it's like he's moving and and the holy spirit stops him from going in certain places because that's not the right place to go um, but it's almost this process of moving with God rather than waiting for God to speak. And eventually, you know, God does speak to him in a dream and says, go to, to Macedonia. But it, it wasn't because he was sitting around mm. twiddling his thumbs, waiting for God to speak. He, he was actively trying and opening doors and pushing. And I think God can stop us if we're doing something we're not meant to be doing. Um, but equally, if, if our heart is right before him, there's kind of a permission to, to step out and, and let him guide us. Moving on to question three. Bringing our complaints to God. Is there a correct way to do this? Can we ball out in a kind of 
this isn't fair sort of way? I think we can ball out, this isn't fair, if that's where we're at. The, the key thing, are you interested in what his response is to you? If that's all I've, if that's where I'm at, and that's the honest cry of my heart right now, am I interested in what his reply is? And sometimes it can be that kind of, what well, seems quite a gentle, come on, tell me more how you are. Sometimes it can be pretty ferocious in the kind of Job 30, 38, which was, brace yourself, now I'm going to ask you some questions. Mm. And so am I willing to engage with that and explore that? And I remember seeing this quote once when someone said, um, sometimes I wonder, why does God allow all this suffering? So, like, well, why don't you ask him? I'm scared that he might ask me the same questions. Mm. <laughs> and so there's, there's that point of, do I just want to moan or do I want to meet with the comforter that actually has my life in his hands. Cool. Okay, question four. How did Elijah know it was this woman specifically that he was to bless? God told him. He was led by the Spirit of God. Um, there's no other way you're going to work that, that out. And uh, I think, again, we come back to that. There is a promise that the sons of God will be led by the Spirit of God. And a prophet there being led into that place at that time. Um, I guess for God it's just a minor thing to say, no, I've selected this person. And uh, I think our, our real challenge is to stay sensitive before God. Lord, what do you want? Lord, which way do you want me to go today? Who do you want me to reach out to today? Um, rather than setting a determined course about what we're going to do um, because that can get in the way of of being sensitive to where God would take us and lead us. Mm. It seems like Elijah it, it doesn't go into a lot of detail about how he heard God, but you just get this impression that Elijah is just very, he has this history of, of hearing from God and and almost knowing how God speaks to him. And it just makes me think that the ways that God speaks to us are so varied and, and quite unique to us. And it, it makes me think of the Rachel Turner stuff from Parenting Children for a Life of Faith, where she talks about catching God and the different ways we can catch from God, whether that's through a picture, whether it's through a sense or a feeling or an emotion or something in our gut or um, a dream. You know, there's all these different ways. And I think there's almost an invitation, like an adventure that that we can have of discovering how God speaks to us. And I think it, it does start with just saying, God, I want to be led by you. Speak to me. Um, and just, I can think of different ways that God has spoken to me in the past, whether through other people, sometimes he's, he's given me a dream. Sometimes there's just been a, a nudge, but I feel like when I read about Elijah, like there is a, a history there and a weight that he's just, he's walked with God. He knows the ways that God speaks to him and, and, and so there's just a sense of deliberateness that, that I see there. Yeah, it's cool. Chris? Yeah, I just, and also I think for me what come out in the story was that God had told him that he'd prepared this person. And so it was a, it's almost like he went into the town and just started talking to someone and there was a responsiveness in that person and so he's just like, this person is responding to to what I'm requesting. So he just, 
then ask an, ask another request and and the interesting thing is she does the second time around she just states a fact and then he kind of goes he, he kind of talks about the miraculous provision that will be happening um i suppose then uh, she could either choose to listen to that or not listen to that it's interesting I, that just that dynamic of um it, is this the one or is it that god just uses this one because of the responsive heart i don't know if we know but it's interesting yeah okay cool question number five so we've spoken about god is my supply wherever the money comes from how can i keep myself from depending on or trusting in in the other channels to me the focus is setting my gaze my my target my focus on god who is the source if I, by his grace, am able to keep that clear, then I won't get so hung up on what particular channel. And so, so first of all, I would say, God calls me to prize you more than anything else. The second is, obey whatever direction that he gives you. And that might be giving away money. It's definitely tithing. Anything that might risk that channel so if it's an employer um, that if I am struggling to be willing to confront unrighteousness because I think it might mean that I miss a promotion then that's a key indicator that I'm looking to this channel as a supply um, and that's what we got with Ficaret's story it's, no I, I can't it does not please God my delight in God is higher than my comfort and my provision. And if you realize that the fear of losing the channel is affecting your ability to love and obey God, then there's a, an opportunity to repent. I think that if there is a source of supply and you feel hmm, a little bit uncomfortable with this, I'm not quite sure that this is... This is uh, I don't know, dodging tax or, you know, just something a little bit, then I think the desire to please God causes us to to say, no, I won't, I won't go that way. I think the other thing is, um, is, is looking at the other way around. Lord, what do you want me to do with what I've got? Um, where would you have me to, to use that? Um, because uh, give and it shall be given unto you mm. um, it's as though there's a there's a channel and we can be part of that channel through which God wants to flow his his life his goodness his resources and uh, I think it's important that the channel's not blocked by us and and our own plans getting in the way of uh, of what he has in mind and uh, sometimes that means yeah, we we have something we're saving for something and we choose to sacrifice that because we feel that God's led us to to meet some other need that's an exciting way mm. it's kind of like thinking of ourselves as a channel 
not not as a depository, not necessarily simply as an outflow, but as a channel that receives and and gives gives out. Just to add as well that I um, I know for myself and Jane, my wife, we both benefited immensely from getting help with budgeting is just a very practical thing and I think sometimes it can be the whole area of finances and provision can feel very murky and fuzzy and there can be a lot of anxiety around it but there's something incredibly powerful sometimes about just making it clear and just seeing okay what you know where am I um, trusting for my for my um, income or what what am I saving or what what do I have to give and and actually I think there was a revelation for me I thought budgeting was just about being you know about saving more or or being able to kind of manage bills and stuff like that but actually there was a release in thinking hold on if I know where things are at with my finances finances and it's clear I'm freed up to be able to give and to be able to ask God what what do you want me to do with this and that was a bit of a revelation for me um, so yeah, it could be quite a practical, um, practical answer about is there a, a sort of question of getting help with with budgeting or insight into that? Okay. Okay. Question six, kind of coming a little bit off the back of what Chris was uh, talking about earlier. So it says I have directed a widow, which is coming from chapter seventeen. Do you think she had heard, but doubted? Elijah had great faith in God's word despite her reaction. How can we have that type of faith? We don't know whether she'd heard. Um, obviously, there'd been some measure of preparation uh, to be receptive in her heart. <clears throat> um, but I guess at that point, she had to, to decide, hmm, this 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 could be God or whatever expression you would she would use. Mm. And see if we if we simply know the end from the beginning it's not quite like faith, is it? Mm. It's more like calculation. So uh, I still love that expression that faith is spelled R I S K. I think the the topic of faith is one of those religious words that um, often we bat around but don't always necessarily have the same kind of definition coming into it and I, I like to think of faith is about choosing to believe God can do what I can't do so I'm saved by faith which is the belief that God has done it I can't do it sometimes though that this thing of oh you need to have more faith almost as a kind of contradiction in terms because I can't have more faith and my faith is on the fact that God can do what I can't do. Um, and so I need I need him to see him better. I need something that... I, I, Pete Gregg used a quote, um, said, I'd, I'd rather have a little faith in a great big unshakable God than a great big unfaith, uh, unshakable faith in a little God. I really like that. It's like the idea of my comfort is not on the strength in which I hold him, but on the strength in which he holds me. And um, what I what I would like in, in my faith is that all the more grasp of his brilliance, ability, love, faithfulness, care, 
compassion. That's what I want to see rather than what more have I got to do. Um, and so I want, to, I want a greater revelation of the size of him rather than about how about my gripping of him. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure about that um, amount of faith thing. Um, basically, faith, the Bible says, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I think if, if God says something, God imparts something to us, that comes basically wrapped in faith. So to me, the hearing is, is the entry point to faith rather than, you know, how can I build up a, build up a, a kind of store of faith? But Jesus does talk about us. Well, he, I kind of think, you know, when his disciples are wobbling, he says to them, you've got little faith. He talks about having faith the size of a mustard seed. So I, I hear what you're saying, but there is obviously something about our role in our faith. I think there's something in uh, oh, Jesus, where in that situation where he talks about if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Hmm. So a little faith can move a mountain. The quantity of faith is not necessarily the thing. There's something else that affects faith. I've come to call it maybe unbelief or a trusting in the faith. Have I really heard or have I really seen? So I, I think there's something in that. Mm. I think there's... A, I think yeah we can we can catch a glimpse of something and we've used the the analogy of the chair you know we don't really trust the chair until we sit in it and then we know we're, so there's something about how am, how much do i believe <laughs> it's like that phrase you know you put your money where your mouth is mm. uh, you, you can hear something are you going to trust in it it's an interesting question because I think that what, what you're referring to, Nick, is after the the storm that Jesus calms, he turns to them and says, where is your faith? And mm. so you think, well, what what did he see that made him question the faith that, uh, that they had? Well, yeah. he'd said to them, we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. And then they said to him, we, we're going to drown. Or in that it says that in Luke, I think, in one of the other Gospels, it says, do you, "We're going to die. Do you not care?" Mm. And so they'd misunderstood who God was. Um, then, if you look at in Matthew uh, thirteen, where Jesus goes back to his hometown, um, and it says right at the end of the, the the chapter, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of lack of faith. So, what do you see? Well. They're saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? We, we know this guy. And so it was anything that, and I think like what Chris is saying, that the thing that undermines a faith, a reliance in God to do the impossible, is anything that undermines who he has claimed he is. Mm. That means that we're not positioned to be able to see what he's doing if if we're not looking for it, if we're not believing it. And I think there is a weird relationship there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
Question number seven. Do we know anything more about Elijah's background and how he was able to have access to King Ahab? No. No. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Just as I say, it's like, the Old Testament's quite good at that, just like, dropping this amazing character. It's like, where, who, why, how? Yeah, yeah I'd love to know more, but no, we don't. <laughs> okay, final question for chapter 17. When we ask to be like God, our response to suffering is part of the package. He suffered, so we suffer. How can we bring glory to him when suffering? A nice light question to uh, round off. I don't know if I'm going to answer the question, but I just reflect there's different kinds of suffering, isn't there? Like there's suff- Jesus talks about, um, you know, if, if they persecuted the teacher, then how much are they going to sort of persecute the disciples kind of thing? And um, the idea that if we're following him and if we're living for him and if we are being, I guess, troublemakers to, to kind of quote Jamie from last week's talk as Elijah was and confronting things and, and standing up for for his truth then potentially there is a sort of challenge that comes things aren't aren't always going to be easy there might be pushback um and obviously we know there's you know persecution is a reality for many people around the world um but also there is kind of suffering that isn't the result of us stepping out it could be like the result of bad decisions that we've made maybe could be the result of just sin or a fallen world um so I think there is um, suffering is a reality. There's different kinds of suffering, but also some of the suffering we encounter is God can can meet us in that and, and deal with it. I think particularly of, of sickness, we we want to have faith to be able to pray pray for sickness and and see that changed, as well as the reality that that it is with us and how do we how do we navigate that? So yeah, not really an answer to the question, but just. It just makes me think of, of the different kinds of suffering we encounter as followers of Jesus. Um, I mean, I always have to go through the process of myself whenever I hear the word glory. Like, what are we saying? So glory is God, is to glorify God is to put his attributes on display. So I got to think, okay, so what is God like? Well, God is love, loving. What happens to me when I'm suffering? Well, I'm tempted to turn in on myself. So I glorify God by continuing to love others, put their needs above mine, the Philippians 2 verse 3 kind of idea of seeking to meet their interests. That's all by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit that means that I don't collapse in on myself in times of suffering. Suffering makes me anxious or emotionally low and I'm tempted to feel abandoned. Or, But when I take a position that Actually, no, God will never leave me or forsake me. He's close to the brokenhearted. And I choose to live on that belief, to express myself to him, to celebrate that he's actually with me, is still glorifying God. It doesn't have to be witnessed by anyone else for it to still be glorifying God. I just love that um, Dan Moller analogy where he's like, he says, you don't, you don't squeeze a lemon and expect to get orange juice. And why is it that when a Christian is squeezed, we get anything but Jesus? And I think it's 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 hot, it's it's challenging. Mm. But I think yeah, we we want that fruit of the spirit, and sometimes God uses squeezing to put those things on display and 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 to test test it 
and to to see what comes out and that i think there's something about our light being on show in the midst of that stuff that that really evidences that this isn't normal i just go back to um our testimony about a situation we had when we were looking to adopt macy and the the social worker sitting on our sofa and was like you know you having having tried to persuade us that we really should have should not be having as much peace as we really do thinking that we hadn't potentially fully understood the gravity of the situation when she couldn't actually get us to <laughs> to enter into that thing she was like yeah there's something <laughs> you know you're very peaceful about this and then just there was just that it was just what god was doing it mm. it was it passes understanding she couldn't understand it um yeah so yeah yeah cool okay that's <coughs> all for chapter 17